Hey, this is Mitch Rose. I'm the lead pastor of City Hills Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message encourages you, it inspires you, it challenges you to live your best life. Take a listen. Here's this week's message. Well, hey, City Hills, how are we feeling? Such an honor uh, to be with you guys. In fact, I saw a few friends earlier in the lobby, so it's always good to see some friendly faces. So honored for those of you who aren't a familiar face or I'm not a familiar face to you. Uh, My name is Brandon, and I do hail from the great city of Houston, Ghost Stros, as was mentioned earlier, hoping that we take it. Uh, But super uh, privileged uh, to be here with you guys today. I love your pastors. I love Pastor Mitch and Pastor Brandy. I love uh, their dear friends. I get to see them usually at conferences and then sometimes around the city. Um, but I have known your pastors before City Hills uh, was even here. Uh, we, got to, we got to work together uh, as he consulted in a church in Houston. And uh, it is an honor to call them friends, to see the work that you are all doing here in the city of Bernie. I mean, what an incredible journey you have been on. Isn't God good to go from a thought to an action, to go from portable to permanent, to go, somebody said amen. I mean, what a blessing it is to see God's faithfulness in the process of people saying yes. People saying yes, Pastor Mitch and Brandy, they said yes to the call of God on their life when they planted this church. You said yes when you decided to come along on that journey to serve your community. I think there's something beautiful when the people of God just say yes. They put their yes before anything else and they say, Lord, wherever you go, whatever you need, here I am. So I wanna honor you, I wanna honor your pastors, and I wanna honor the incredible team that have hosted me today from scriptures on the screen to getting me a bougie coffee this morning to all the other things as I am a coffee snob. Thank you so much. I feel so welcomed, uh, and it's an honor to be here. So let's go ahead and dive in to the Word of God this morning. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. I know it's an old-school form of reading. Uh, You also have something on your phone. It's called an app, a Bible app maybe. Or if you don't have any of those, it's okay. We're going to provide you the words on the screen. So you have a lot of opportunities uh, to read God's Word this morning, and I am grateful for that as well. Man, what an amazing time we live in to have so many platforms and mediums to be able to read God's word. We are so blessed here. John chapter six, give you a few moments. It says this, after this, Jesus went away. Now, just so you know, I'm reading from a version called the ESV. They're gonna put up on the screen an NIV. It's gonna be very similar. But if you see a few words that don't exactly match, if you're a type A personality or OCD, please do not freak out. You do not have to run out of the room. Uh, We will get there together. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side, to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him. Jesus says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people How many of you know that Jesus is always concerned with people? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to even get just a little bit, just a morsel. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here 
who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. The men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Historians will tell us that there's, these are just the number of men, not including women and children. So the number is just increasingly more. So also he did, what he does is he takes the bread, he takes the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributes them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. I love how we just went from a little to as much as they want. Man, only can God take us on a, a journey from just a little to more than enough. And it says that when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them and filled the baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left over those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come to the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, talk about a mob. It says that Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Lord, we thank you for this day, for this opportunity, for your word, for being in a place to be a part of a community, to be surrounded by people who love you and to be in the presence of your love. Change us, transform us, make us new. May we never leave the way we came. In Jesus' name. Uh, when pastors come uh, to speak, oftentimes they like to uh, put up photos of their family and they talk about, you know, all that happens back home. And so as I mentioned, I am from Houston, I'm born and raised, I pastored in the city of Houston for 10 years, and now I get to work for a great organization called One Child. Uh, we are a child development ministry. We work with children all over the world in 14 countries helping uh, basically see kids thrive in their communities from poverty uh, to, to, to the more than enough. And that's a great honor of mine. And so right now, I've got a 12-year-old uh, back home. My parents are, are watching him. And I, I'm telling you, uh, there's something about this stage of his life being 12 where he's just eating everything, okay? Like, you would, you would think if you saw him that I never feed him, uh, that I, yeah, I don't provide, right? Like, I'm a horrible person. In fact, this is, this is actually a true story. Uh, we were walking to meet some friends on the outside patio uh, at a restaurant. And as we're walking to see these friends, <laughs> he literally stops at a random table. People we don't know. These are not familiar faces. And he is just looking at them and what they're eating. And I'm like, this is so embarrassing. I feed you. I take care of you. Right? You, anybody else have a 12-year-old that's like that? Yeah? Hands all over. Um, so anyways, like, like other pastors, I got a photo of, of him. If you guys want to put that up. So, so my 12 year old, his name is Max. Um, my bundle of joy guys. He's a bundle of joy. Now, how many of you for being honest, uh, as I talked about my 12 year old, how many of you thought I was talking about a human child, 12 year old hands across the place today? Right, because context matters, does it not? Context is super important when we read scripture. It's important to understand not just what we're reading, but to understand the surroundings and the context of what we're reading. And today we've read from the book of John, but in the book of John, the feeding of the 5,000 isn't the only place where we see this miracle come alive. 
In fact, we see it all throughout the four Gospels, which tells us something. It tells us something that this is an important miracle. For Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who in their Gospels, they're all writing to different audiences, and all is important, which is why they include different stories, because again, they're writing to different people groups. It's important to note that they include this in all four And again, it tells us something. What does it tell us? It tells us that we cannot understand who Jesus was and continues to be today without understanding a little bit about this story. We cannot understand who Jesus was or who he is today without understanding this story. So I want to make a few observations for us this morning as we continue our time. Observation number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus makes room. Observation number one, Jesus makes room. As I just mentioned, this story is mentioned throughout the four Gospels. And if we were to read the Gospel of Luke in chapter 9 where this story is found, we would see that it tells us about the same moment happening where the crowd is pressing upon Jesus. They're following after him. In fact, in in John chapter 6, the reason is is because a large crowd is following because why? The signs that he was doing on the sick. They see these signs happening. They see the miracles and the moments that Jesus is partaking in and including people in. And so it says that as he leaves the area, they begin to follow because they want to be a part of what's happening. And it says that he, in chapter uh, uh, 9 of Luke, it says that he welcomes them. And then he teaches them about the kingdom and he heals them. It says he welcomes them, he teaches them about the kingdom, and he heals. In this story, we're introduced to two different groups of people. Yes. We're introduced to the crowd, and we're introduced to the disciples. We're introduced to the crowd and the disciples. Now, here's the thing. The crowds are following Jesus, and the disciples are following Jesus. But the type of pursuit in their follow are completely different. The crowds are not following Jesus the way the disciples are following Jesus. The crowds followed Jesus on a whim. They wanted primarily what Jesus had to offer. They looked at what Jesus could do, him healing, him delivering, and they wanted that. But the disciples were students. They were there to learn from Jesus, and not just learn from Jesus, but to go and do likewise. And we know this because if we read in the book of Luke and we read above, we understand that the disciples have just come back from Jesus sending them out. And he sends them out to go and to do like he has been doing amongst the people. And they come back with these reports that we've been healing and we've been delivering people from their oppression. And they come and talk and tell Jesus. And then after they come back is when they depart. So the disciples are students who are learning and mirroring what they see and hear from Jesus. They are his apprentices. The disciples followed not based on what Jesus could do, but from a commitment to who he was. And I think this is an important question that we should all ask ourselves this morning. Am I part of the crowd or am I part of the disciples? Am I part of the crowd that's following Jesus kind of on a whim? Maybe this morning you woke up and you're like, I think I'll go to City Hills today. I think it's a good day to come and to sit in a place to hear some worship and a message. And you kind of woke up and that was the motivation and what moved you to be here in this chair, in this place, on this Sunday, October 30th. 
Maybe you are following Jesus because today you came to church and you just need something. Maybe you need a miracle of your own. Maybe you need a miracle in your family, your job. Maybe you've been praying for something or, or, or you're just kind of just needing something from Jesus and you're here to press in on him just a little bit. Or maybe this morning you're saying, man, I'm here because I've chosen to commit my life to Christ, to give my everything, will, desires, whatever it is, I want Jesus to lead me. Wherever he goes, I will follow. And the beauty about Jesus is that he's, he makes room for both. Whether you're part of the crowd or you're part of the disciples, Jesus makes room for you. Because he doesn't turn the crowd away. As they come upon him, we're told in all the other gospel accounts that it's because he has compassion on them that he says, you are welcome here. And then he sits and begins to teach them about the kingdom. And he begins to heal them and, and meet the needs that they have. I'm glad that Jesus is an inviter. I'm, I'm glad that Jesus makes room no matter where we are. I'm glad that we can come to a place here in Bernie called City Hills Church where there has been room made for you. Whatever walk of life you've come from, whatever struggles you've carried, wherever you've been, whatever you're going through, you are welcome here. And the hope of that welcome is that you can sit in a place and learn about not only Jesus, but Jesus' kingdom because we are a part of a better place with a better process, a better practice. We are part of the kingdom, and this kingdom has no borders. This kingdom is not bound by ethnicity. This kingdom spans across all the things that divide us. This kingdom is a kingdom that isn't going to be shaken. It doesn't matter who's in power. It doesn't matter how much money we make. None of that in the kingdom of God is pertinent. What is pertinent is who sits on the throne and that we are welcome. We are part of an everlasting kingdom. And this is the message that Jesus welcomes people to hear as he goes about healing them and their need. And so if you're a part of the crowd this morning, you're welcome here. But here's the thing. The crowd can only get so far because it's the disciples whom Jesus pours his life into. It's the disciples whom Jesus takes away with him into the private moments. It's the disciples who Jesus invests his life into. And so maybe you walked in today on that whim, but I hope you leave here saying, I give my all because I want all that Jesus has for me. I want to be as close to him. I want to hear from him. I want to sit at his feet. I want to open up the word and see it come alive in my life. I don't want to just chase based off of a need. I want to commit based off of a person and that person is Christ. Point number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus has a plan. He has a plan. It says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews is at hand, and lifting up his eyes and seeing that large crowd, he goes to Philip and he says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, the reason he's probably asking Philip specifically is because Philip has grown up in this area, right? And so when everybody, some, somebody comes to your town like me visiting, right, one of my favorite questions when I travel to a new place or even a familiar place is I like to ask people who are from that place, hey, where do you like to get coffee? Like, don't give me a four-star below, right? Coffee snob. Where do you like to eat? 
right? Isn't that our favorite question when we go to visit somebody's place? Like, where are the places to eat? Where can I go grab a coffee? Where can I explore? Like, tell me some of your favorites. So Philip is, he is from most likely this area. So Jesus is testing Philip and he's saying, hey, where, where, where are the grocery stores? What's the good spots to eat at? And Philip's response is this, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to even get a little. He said, even if we had half of a year's wages of salary, it still wouldn't even be enough. We just don't have it. We just, no good solutions, Jesus. We should probably just send them home. In fact, in the other gospels, it said that the disciples, in their thinking and in their planning, they want to send everyone to the village to get some lodging and get some food because they look around at their own provisions. They're lacking. But it says here in verse 6, He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus asked, where can we buy bread? And he asked him because he knows what he's already going to do. I'm not a natural planner. Maybe you're a natural planner, but I've had to grow to become a planner uh, because of the the busyness, the schedule of travel, and then just doing things back home. And, And so I am that person who lives and dies by my calendar. Anybody else a person who lives and dies by your calendar? I mean, if it's not in the calendar, it's out of sight, out of mind, and I'll forget Unless, it, I mean, I literally have to put in my calendar when I have to leave a place, when I should be arriving at a place, how much time it's going to take to get to the place. I have to put calls in my calendar. I have to put, you know, dinners in the calendar. Because if I don't have it in the calendar, out of sight, out of mind, I'm not a planner. In fact, I do uh, the privilege, again, of working for one child, but I also get to be a part of a lot of people's wedding days as I get to officiate as a pastor, a uh, couple's uh, big day. And so... In addition to that, I get to also lead them through premarital. And so this one morning uh, is a glorious morning. I wake up, feed the dog, right? Take him on this walk. And I mean, I'm telling you, I wake up this morning, and I'm just like, I'm like feeling free. I got space. There's nothing on the calendar. Like this morning is it's mine, like it's redeemed, right? And so I'm walking my dog in the neighborhood, having a just day of it, just thinking about all the things I'm going to do later. And then I get a call. And I answer this call, and I don't recognize the numbers. Normally, I wouldn't do it, but I'm like, eh, we'll give it a shot, right? It's kind of like a 50-50. Is it a robot or is it a person? Is it a robot or is it a person? So I answer the call, and it's this couple that I'm going to officiate their wedding, and, and, and we're doing premarital. And they're like, hey, we just parked. And I'm like, cool, where are you, you, know, like, where are you at? You know, I'm, I'm sure it's a great place. And they're like, no, no, we're, we're at your house. And they're like, you're at my house. Well, what I forgot to do in the midst of us texting literally just the day before is I didn't move the text message to the calendar. And that text message would have been important to move to the calendar because it would have reminded me that at 8 a.m. we were doing a premarital session together. And it would have reminded me because we were doing an 8 a.m. premarital session together that I should probably clean my house the night before. And I should probably not walk my dog at 8 a.m. throughout the neighborhood as a couple who are going to arrive at my house. And I completely forgot. Me and Max ran as fast as we could, apologized as best as we could. We cleaned that house as quickly as we could because, again, if it's not on the calendar, it's not on my mind. But Jesus is not that way. Jesus is not forgetful. Jesus is not caught off guard. 
Jesus is never left wondering what he should do. In fact, part of God's divine character is he's a planner. We see this in the beginning of creation. Whenever God creates everything, he has a plan. We see this when he gives the blueprint to Noah to build the ark. We see this in the instructions to Moses to build the ark of the covenant in the tabernacle with Joshua, David, and so many others. When he gives them instructions on how to wage and go to war, we see this with Solomon on how to build the temple, and we see this with Jesus as he has a determined path and plan towards the cross. We see this in blueprints and in battles and with our own salvation. All throughout scripture, God has a plan. And I wanna encourage you this morning, he has a plan for you. If you came in this morning and you're wondering, where's God and where's my life and what am I to do and how do I get out and where are these anxieties and frustrations and where are they supposed to go and all the worries and the cares, God has a plan for you. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is pick up any Christian coffee mug or t-shirt or fun little portrait that we hang on our walls because it's gonna say Jeremiah 29, 11. And it's gonna say, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. And even though Jeremiah is speaking to a group of Israelites who are in captivity because they're in exile, the promise of God is true for them and the promise of God is true for you. It is true for me and you here today that God has a plan. His plan is not evil. His plan is good. His plan is for you, to prosper you, to give you hope in the future. Now that doesn't mean everything in that plan goes easy, but it is a good plan because he is a good God. Number three, Jesus is a provider. He is a provider. Again, we have this conversation about where should we go buy bread. Philip is like, man, I don't know, but Jesus has a plan. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, comes to him and he says, there is a boy. Thank God for kids. Come on, thank God for kids. You know, when I read scripture, Jesus is always on the side of children, widows, and orphans. You never read a place in scripture where Jesus is never on the side of kids. In fact, Jesus would rebuke his disciples as the kids gather and climb on Jesus before he removes the kids from his presence. Jesus loves kids. And I'm so glad that there's a group of people right now dressed in crazy costumes, pretending to be superheroes, loving on your kids right now, caring for your kids, teaching them about the hope of Christ. Isn't that incredible? That people would give up their time. I'm an introvert, guys. You're not gonna put me in that costume. But I'm glad somebody's in it. Because Jesus loves kids. They matter to him. And it says that there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? And this is the crux of the passage. Jesus has been teaching, right? It, said, it says in the other gospels that the day is wearing on. Maybe right now you feel like that's your experience with me. The day is wearing on as this guy is teaching us. But this is what's been happening. Because Jesus is a teacher, he's a preacher. And he wants to make sure that the words of hope and truth and life are heard for all of his hearers. But it's taken a while. It's taken a long time. And people are beginning to get hangry. How many of you know church people get hangry the quickest? Whenever the preacher preaches a little too long, right? Something in our stomach starts to growl. We start to get a little uncomfortable. We start to get a little hungry. We want to hurry up just a tad. And so the disciples are having this moment because they have a problem. And they're trying to figure out what we should do. And so in their solution, their, their, their thought would be, we send them away. 
Because their practical thinking is that we don't have enough money. We don't have that much to be able to even go to a grocery store if we could even find a grocery store to even buy the things. And even if we did buy the things, remember, they're just going to get a little morsel. And can I tell you something? When you're hungry, a little morsel just is not going to do the job. And so the disciples in this moment, in the crux of the problem, are trying to figure out what to do, and they're being very practical. And I, I think I'd be the same way. I think if I were a disciple in this moment of time with Jesus, if we could put ourselves in their shoes, I think we would do the same. I think we would look around at the masses and the crowds. I think we would look and see what's happening. We'd find that the sun is going down. We'd realize we've been going long. We'd feel ourselves getting hungry. And our solution would be, hey, there are surrounding villages. Let's go get them lodging. Let's get them a bite to eat. And let's call it a day. We can come back tomorrow. But Jesus isn't always interested in the practical. Remember, the disciples have just come from experiencing the power of God. They have been healing and casting out demons, and they are now back in the presence of God. And having experienced the power of God and being in the presence of God, Jesus is saying the practical just won't do. And I think that's a lesson for us. And the lesson for us is just because we have experienced the power of God yesterday doesn't mean we have faith for the power of God today. One of the most biblical, valuable lessons we can learn is that we can't live our life on yesterday's experiences because he is not the God just of yesterday. He's the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, generation after generation. And if we try to live off the experience of God's power yesterday, it doesn't always translate to faith for the here and the now. And Jesus is saying, you've experienced my power. You're back in my presence. Don't give me practical. And he says, you feed them. Do what I've taught and trained you and given you the power to do. As the disciples in this moment, again, he looks to Philip. He's from the area. But it's Andrew who comes to the table with a possible fix. And he says, there's a boy who has five barley loaves, two fish. But what are they for so many? And it's a good solution. But at the end, he's got the question that many of us ask. Here's what I have, but what is it worth? Here's what I've seen. Here's what I found, but how much value does it actually have? My talent, my gifts, my voice, my experience, it's not enough. It's something, but it's not enough. And oftentimes, I think that's how we view our relationship with Jesus. We look at what's in our hand. We look at the problem at hand and we begin to doubt what God can do through us. You know, I remember growing up my school lunch because I I didn't pack a lunch. Maybe you packed a lunch. Do you remember packing a lunch for school? Everybody had like a favorite lunch, right? Maybe maybe you grew up and it was like the bologna, right? Which is just a mix of all kinds of things that we're we're sure we can eat because we're told we can eat. Uh, But but maybe you had like the snackable lunch. I just I didn't really pack a lot of lunch, but I do remember when I was a kid, my lunch was that cardboard pizza at school with the with the carton of milk. Now, isn't that quite the combination? Pizza and milk. Does a body good, guys. But that's what I grew up on, right? We, we didn't have these health-conscious, like, you know, people c- combating all of the things that we ate back in the day. We just ate it, right? Because kids' stomachs can go through it, right? I mean, we're eating dirt, mud. We find bugs, and just things happen, guys. You know, life moves. And this little boy, he's got his lunch. 
and it's two bar, it's five barley loaves, and it's two fish. Now, the barley loaves is important because it's really the cheapest, worst-tasting bread in this time period. And the fish, according to the Greek in the book of John, is really small fish, sardines. Like this little boy wasn't out on the ocean fishing for marlin, right? He's not fighting the tuna that we see on the Discovery Channel. So he's literally got his snackable lunch of crackers and fish. And I think it's easy to see what we've been given and to think it's not enough. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Making a difference in this life has less to do with what you have and has more to do with what you're willing to do with what you have. You want to make a difference in life? It's not about what's in your hand. It's about what you're willing to do with what's in your hand. I don't imagine that this little boy was the only one who packed a lunch that day. In fact, I imagine that he probably looked at his surroundings and he could have, like many of us do, begin to compare. Well, I just have my little snackable lunch, but this guy, he's got a full catered meal. This, 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 this gal over here, she's got the charcuterie bird, Jesus. She's, she's got it. She's got the picnic laid out. And I think this little boy could have easily, like many of us do, we survey the rest of the crowd. And then we look at what we have and we begin to doubt because maybe they have more. Maybe they have better. Maybe they're more experienced. Maybe they're more talented. Maybe they're more gifted. Maybe they've been around longer. Whatever our reasons, here's what I want to let you know about comparison. It is truly a quiet killer. And that's what poison is. Poison is a quiet killer. But here's the antidote. The antidote to poison is twofold. It's being thankful and it's celebrating. Here's what I mean by that, being thankful. It's looking at what you have in your hand and being, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for five and two. Thank you, Jesus, for this gift and this talent. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've given me. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunities. It might not look like much to me, but thank you for the gifts in my life, God, for the blessings, for the family, for the spouse, for this time of singleness, although many of us aren't thankful for that time. Thank you for the family. Thank you for friends. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to sit in a building and not have to set up and tear down anymore. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's celebrating. Thank you for them. Thank you for their gift. Thank you for their talent. Thank you for their time. Thank you that you've blessed them. Thank you that you've given them something to help extend the body of Christ and make it more beautiful. Because if it's just about me, then it's, it's not much. That's the reason that I can sit whenever the worship band is singing and I can sing loudly along with them because I don't have to be up here singing so that you don't have to hear me singing. And I can be glad that there is a person who God has gifted with a beautiful voice because the way to get over comparison is through gratitude and celebration. See, both Philip and Andrew, they were trying to do math. And Philip's math was, here's, here's what we have, 5,000 people. And here's what we don't have. We don't have any food and we don't have any money. And Andrew's math is, here's what we have. We've got 5,000 plus people. We, we don't have really any food. We don't have really any money. But we have Jesus. And with Jesus and, and with our little bit of extra, when you combine those two, it became everything. Your little bit of extra in the hands of Jesus, your talent, you're not enough, you're what is it even worth, you put that in the hands of Christ. And for somebody, it's everything. And he will make it more than enough for you 
and everyone else because being willing is always the precursor to the greatness with God. And my last point, point number four, is Jesus is Lord. It says this, after they gathered the baskets, the people saw the sign that he had done, and they said, this indeed is the big P prophet who has come into the world. And then perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, King Jesus withdraws, and he goes to the mountain by himself. This is important, seeing that big P prophet, because what it tells us is it tells us that they identified with the prophecies of old that there would come a Messiah who would save them. Because thousands of years before this moment, Jesus gave, or, or, or God gave Moses a promise that he would send a new Moses to the people of God. And so the people see this, they see the signs, they see the wonders. In fact, that's the reason that when Jesus is blessing and break, breaking the bread, and he's earlier in John, he's referring to the Passover, we get this imagery. Because what's happening in this moment is they're going back to that first Passover. They're reminding themselves that when Moses came in, in that last plague, the plague where they had to put the blood on the doors in order for the firstborns of their house to be saved happened. And then God delivered them from Egypt and he took them over the, the Red Sea. And then in that moment, they began to look around and they too, the people of God, the crowds of God began to get hungry even after being delivered from Egypt, even after receiving all of the miracles that God had to offer, they looked around and they said, we have no food, so God sent them quail. And they reflect on this moment and another moment where there's a lot of people in the need for food. Except this time, it's not gonna run out because what Jesus and what they're inferring about is that Jesus is the bread of life. And that even though there's going to be these leftover baskets, 12 for 12 disciples, for 12 tribes, he's a He's illustrating to them that he is the Messiah. But here's the thing. Everything that they inferred about Jesus was true, and yet he still, he still withdraws. Why? I thought he welcomed the crowd. He does. But here's what happened to the crowd. They had the right title, but they had the wrong understanding. They saw Jesus as Messiah and King, but they didn't understand what it meant. Because for them, what it meant was only that he would give us bread. He would give us miracles. He would heal. But they didn't understand the implications of Jesus being Lord. And I want you to just sit for a moment and think about that implication of Jesus being Lord. I want you to imagine, maybe in your mind, what could be the most worst case scenario assignment God could give you. Maybe for you that looks like him sending you across the globe to a remote place, selling all that you have here, not putting it in a bank account, but giving it all away him saying, I'm going to send you to the hard places. I'm going to send you to the places where you have to walk miles upon miles in order to be able to go to a remote village to get the gospel, the word of God to the people of God who need to hear about the graciousness and gift of God. Maybe for you, you're like, oh, don't, 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 Jesus, no, not me. Let this be one of those celebration moments where I thank that for the gift of others. Because our gut reaction to the the possible call of God is a reflection on whether or not he is Lord entitled or if we truly understand and have given him the authority of Lord because Jesus being Lord is exactly what I said at the very beginning it's putting our yes ahead of an assignment it's putting our yes ahead of anything 
And there are men and women across the world who have put their yes ahead of God. I could tell you about the man of the Dominican Republic who was blind and him and his wife literally for miles walked from their village to another village because God called him to that village. And he got so fed up after doing this for years. He got so fed up. And he was so tired of walking and walking that he sat down and he said, if you want to move me, God, you're going to have to do it. And literally after praying that prayer, a man they had never seen before comes driving up and offers them a ride. And they never saw him since. His wife never saw him and never heard his voice. I can tell you story after story about child champions who pick up the call to serve the least of these because Jesus is Lord. And my encouragement to you today is to not leave with Jesus only being Jesus in title, but let Jesus be Lord of your life. It's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, and it's beautiful. So Lord, here today, here and now, we pray. We pray that you would be Lord. We recognize you as provider. We know that you have made a way and you have a plan. And so Jesus, here today, we put our trust in you. We put our trust in you, Jesus. Maybe today you've never put your trust in Jesus. And I'll invite you right where you are. It's not a magical prayer. It's not a fancy prayer. It's just a simple prayer. And wherever you are, you can just say this. Lord, here I am. I recognize I have sin and I need you to save me. It's as easy as that. And if you mean it from your heart and you declare it from your mouth, scripture says that you will be saved. So Lord, here we are. We have a multitude of sins and we need you to save us. We believe you came, you bled, you died, but you picked yourself up again and gave new life. And we want that new life today. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. You know, it's because of you that we're able not only to bring this message to you, but we're able to offer hope and life to the San Antonio Hill Country and beyond. So if you'd like to give today, you can visit cityhillstx.com right now. And if this message blessed you, why don't you click subscribe or share this message with your friends uh, on your socials. I pray it's a blessing to others in your world. Thanks again for listening today. God bless you.